home. This is my sister, Sam. I used to live with her aunt and uncle in Oregon, but a few months ago I changed that. Before I moved in... Before she moved in, I had my life totally together. But were you having any fun? I hate it when she's right. <laughs> disturbing stories in Hollywood history. The murder of Rebecca Schaefer, a young and beautiful actress cut down in her prime by an obsessed fan. On July 18th of 1989, the actress was shot to death in the doorway of her West Hollywood apartment by Robert John Bardo, an obsessed fan who had been stalking her for three years. This was one of the biggest stories that shook Hollywood in the late 80s. Join us as we take a deeper dive into the lower depths of stalker cases and their definitions. What drives an obsessed fan to do the unthinkable? The paranormal aftermath. There are no hauntings on the site of Rebecca's murder, but there is a correlation with the show My Sister Sam that starred Rebecca and downtown LA's haunted Pico House. So let's travel back in time. Let's travel back to 1989, and the setting is Hollywood, California. On episode 39, we close season three with the true crime and paranormal aftermath of Rebecca Schaefer. Hi, this is Kat with Haunting History Podcast, and I'm here to tell you about what's new in Season 3. This season, we're doing something a little different. We're investigating, researching, and telling you the story of a missing person's case as we go along. You'll join us as we talk to detectives, private investigators, coroner's offices, file clerks, librarians, and the family members whose lives are changed by a disappearance that happened 40 years ago and most likely spending an unhealthy amount of time on Ancestry.com. You, our listeners, are going to be with us as we get the case and then as we find, meet, and talk to the people behind the story. We're starting the season with a ton of questions and zero answers, and we have no idea how it's going to end. What we do know is this family deserves to know what happened. Join us by emailing, messaging, and commenting with your thoughts, suggestions, and ideas. We want your help. Someone out there knows something. Help us find that someone. Season 3 starts Tuesday, June 11th with the disappearance of Deborah Lynn. Okay, guys. 
Hopefully, this is the, the last time we're recording this episode. Yes. We're just <laughs> really testing yes. Tammy's breaking point. <laughs> we are. Tammy being on the phone with Apple support. Yes. <laughs> it was just not a good thing. Being on the phone with my husband while he was away and this happened was just not a pretty thing to see. Look, mm-hmm. I think we can all agree <laughs> that we have been very upfront about our level of technological experience mm-hmm. and it's quite low it's very low like there's i mean there's no qualifications you need to have in order to start a podcast and have a podcast and birth a podcast yeah so if you're here for sci-fi hour please stop listening immediately yes we'll wait <clears throat> but if you're here for hollywood paranormal mm-hmm. please continue please Please, like, just just like, <laughs> bear with us. <laughs> All right, guys. So you heard it in our intro. We're going to be talking about the Rebecca Schaefer case. Yes. This has been much talked about. Yes. But we felt that this was a great way to end season three by talking about this horrific crime. Mm. But on top of that, it was one of the most disturbing stories in Hollywood history because we started our season three with Richard Ramirez and we're going to end it with Rebecca Schaefer. Yes. Which oddly parallels like the 20 year mark Mm. of the Sharon Tate murder if you think about Mm -hmm. it because both of those actresses were young, Mm -hmm. up and coming. They had a lot ahead of them and something happened. And I think that definitely... As you know, we're going to talk about, but I think the main root of that is how our society treats young women in general. Mm -hmm. That's right. Teaser for a feminist (laughs) rant. You knew it was coming. Here we are. But also, I think it's really interesting because, as we've talked about with other crimes, the Sharon Tate murders, of course, Mm -hmm. um, there's these sort of events, these sort of hallmark crimes that we as a country, as a society, they they dictate that decade. And Mm -hmm. this one, this one is really the sort of bookend on the 80s. Yes. And transitions us into the 90s in the ways that the laws were changed, in the ways that we viewed victims. Of course. In the ways that we viewed women in general, Mm -hmm. legally and as a society. And it didn't fix almost anything. Because then, of course, you have, like, the O.J. Simpson trial. Oh, absolutely. Which is such a hallmark of the 90s. But this, I think, really is the bookend for the 80s. Yes. That then catapults us into the sort of, like, hyper-legal world of the 90s. Absolutely. As we described in um, our Richard Ramirez Mm -hmm. episode, the 80s was one of the most deadliest decades. It was a very exciting decade with music and movies and entertainment, but then it was very, you know, gritty and dark in a lot of places, especially throughout the city as we talked about, you know, Skid Row and Mm. how that escalated. And then we have this whole like embarkment of these serial killers running rampant. Like this was like, as you put it, like the height. This was their time. Yeah. And in, you know, this case, you know, when we talk about Bardo, he wasn't really necessarily a serial killer. He was just a serial uh, stalker. Stalker, yeah. Yeah. Which leads me to look into this whole fascination of stalkers, Mm, cases of stalkers. And while researching this case, the questions that I had in mind were, you know, what is a stalker? Mm -hmm. What defines stalking? And I went down this rabbit hole. As you do. (laughs) As we all do. Word. Of, you know, this whole phenomenon of stalkers. And I Mm. find out that there's not one, but a fun pack of four. Four different 
types of stalkers that are out there. That's we'll, so weird. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing, you know. You stalk pizza. I mean, that's just 100%. lightly stalking. I'm all four types for pizza. Yeah, and we'll discuss about that. Mm-hmm, but then there's mm-hmm. other people that take it one step too further. Definitely. Maybe not with pizza, but with other things, other individuals. Well, it's so crazy because I feel like the term stalker is such like a misused word. When you mm-hmm. told me earlier, like, oh, there's like four classifications of stalking. I was like, full on jaw agape. Like, I'm in there. Because it's like that thing you slam in someone's face of like, you're like Instagram messaging me too much. You're a stalker. And like, well, what does that mean? Right. Gooped. Or we use it just lightly when we're like, totally. oh, we're going to Facebook stalk you. Like, we yeah. like to Facebook stalk our, you know, listeners whenever they message we us. do. All the time. Sorry, guys. Not sorry. Not that sorry. Mm-mm, Y'all are really we, interesting. So be less interesting and maybe we'll stop. I know. There's times where I'm like looking at your pictures. I'm like, homegirl or homeboy has a really beautiful shade of lipstick. Uh, yeah. I have to message you and ask you that shade. Yeah. Jeffree Star, you know, unicorn blood. What is that? Ugh, don't. Oh, God. Right. Mm, what's our, your favorite shade? Our house is drowning in Jeffree Star cosmetics. Oh, so is my bathroom. My husband my cannot roommates. stand it. I know. They, it's, here's the thing. At the end of the day, nobody else has. I mean, this. I am not being paid by Jeffree Star to say this. I promise. <laughs> uh, especially now amidst all his troubles. But my roommate, especially, she is obsessed. She has, I think, nearly every color. Um, oh, really? <laughs> Unicorn Blood is really good because I love the name, Obvi. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also a fan, I think it's called Corpse, or like something along those lines, and it's like a mossy green color. It's Ooh. like matte. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Celebrity Skin is my color. Oh, I love Celebrity Skin, oh, yeah. That color and that song by Courtney Love, of course, but that color is like my goat. That's hers too. That's Here funny that you are. said that, yeah. New podcast talking about Jeffree Star shades. I know. Mm-hmm. Even though we I like mean, to look, give shade in this community, just saying. If Jeffree Star wants to sponsor us, I'll plug whatever the hell yes, he wants. <laughs> seriously. You want to plug anything and everything. We I said can. it on just the like way makeup, You not? got a dollar, I got a talent. Like, there that's you go. My, mm-hmm. That's not my saying, so I probably <laughs> have to cut that. My bad. Now, there, we're having like our subscriber number just like lower as we're talking. Plummets. <laughs> All right, guys. Let's start this Holly Weird tale with yes. what is a definition of a stalker? And what is the definition of stalking? And we'll hit on another note. According to psychologist Chris Mohandy, of you know the types of stalkers out mm. there because there are four types and we'll definitely give out some examples so first mm-hmm. off what is a stalker and according to wikipedia.com a stalker is a person who harasses or persecutes someone with unwanted and obsessive attention Me, to yes. pizza yes yeah, exactly stalking is unwanted and or repeated surveillance by an individual or group towards another person so you for example and Robert Patterson. Yes. Always. I really am here for him being Batman. Really? I really I am sorry, but I love Army Hammer. Oh, I love him too. I love that mountain of a man that I want to climb so bad. Yeah, he is incredibly handsome. But here's the thing. <laughs> We're never going to talk about poor <laughs> like, Rebecca Schaefer. I know. Like, I'm so sorry. We're like going in different directions. <laughs> Look, here's what it is. If you really boil it down, everyone's mad because Robert Pattinson was in Twilight. But A, I'm going to give one serious reason and one fake reason. And the fake reason is that like Batman literally <laughs> pretended to be 
a vampire for all of his 20s. So it's mm-hmm. fine. The The serious reason is that it's hard to cast a good Batman who can also be a good Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. And I really do get that. Christian Bale was like a perfect Bruce Wayne. His Batman was fine. He shouldn't have talked in that voice to himself. It was a weird choice, but okay. Yeah. Um, the thing with Robert Pattinson is if you watch him in other things, other films, he's really talented. He's a good actor. Mm-hmm. So like... Yeah, he was young and was in a franchise that made him a multi-millionaire. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Like, you got to make it how you got to make it, you know? I yeah. Don't know. I just try as best as I can to give movies the benefit of the doubt until they disappoint me. So, like, I try not to hate things mm-hmm. before they come out. Right. And then, like, yeah, once it comes out, looking at you, Game of Thrones ending, like, no spoilers. <laughs> That's but true. I was, like, really with it, and then I wasn't. So, mm-hmm. like, I really try not to, like, preemptively hate things. So, give my sweet baby boy a chance. Give him a chance. But I am forever Michael Keaton. Yeah, mm-hmm. of course. I mean, he's just the OG. Yeah, he's not Not the OG, name. but he's so good. Yeah, he was. Ugh. Him and Kim Basinger. Yes. Mm. All right. So according to psychologist Chris Mohandy, who has been consulting on stalking and threat cases for over 25 years, says he defines a stalker as someone who is obsessed with the victim and involved in an unwanted pursuit. So Mohandy says there are basically four kinds of stalkers. Are you ready, guys? The first one is the public figure stalker who has no prior relationship with their victim. And then there's the private stranger stalker who crosses paths with a victim in some way, and then that person becomes a target. And you might have seen a good example of this in the Netflix series of You. So creepy. Very creepy. Which I have my doubts with that show of how they (coughs) kind of glamorize stalking. Mm -hmm. When you have the stalker who's like narrating the show and he looks, you know, like, you know, if you squint his eye, he does look like a perfect nine or a ten. I do love Penn Badgley, yes. mm -hmm, But Penn Badgley has that seedy and creepy paleness to him. Totally. Yeah, yeah. But that is a really good excuse. You don't want to cross a path with that private stranger stalker because you just never know. Oof. Now, there's the acquaintance stalker who pursues maybe a coworker or a classmate, someone else in their life. That group of stalkers, the acquaintance group, has about a 50% chance risk of violence. Mohandi says you have to understand the risks. Now, don't let this deceive you because you don't know which percent you know you're going to be dealing with in a particular case, he told CBS News. You still have to look at the particulars of a case to determine if it's going to be a dangerous stalker or not, which is really, really scary. And that leads us to our final one, the most common type of stalker, the most dangerous one, the fourth category of stalker. According to Mohandi, he describes it as the intimate stalker. He said that these are the most common and the most dangerous. He says that the risk of violence from an intimate stalker is about 74%. Violence could be anything from pushing and shoving to more violent assaults. He also notes that many domestic violent homicide cases have a stalking component. So you look at these cases with, you know, jilted lovers, Mm. you know, boyfriends and girlfriends who, you know, kill their other spouses. If, you know, I can't have them, no one else can. And offs them off. So those are the most, you know, common cases Mm -hmm. as what he describes as, you know, 
an intimate stalker. Now, there's also celebrity stalkers that we're going to definitely touch on. Mm. Now, for every hundred or thousand fans that declares their admiration for what they do, there may be one that takes this support a little too far. And celebrity stalkers, as they have come to be known, may do what they do from a misguided sense of attraction for the celebrity. And communications from these fans often begin innocently enough with fan mail that perhaps he's asking for a signed photograph. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just like, oh, can you sign this photograph? Can you sign this piece of paper for me? Maybe sign my butt, maybe sign my poster, Mm -hmm. things like that. Now, fortunately, the most for most celebrities, this is where the communication begins and ends. But some take the step a little further towards obsession. And most obsessed fans are teenagers who will most likely adorn bedroom walls with endless posters of their favorite singers or boy Mm. groups or sports personalities. So we're going to have to put a pin on here because we have to ask Bryce who adorned his walls in middle (laughs) school. And I have a feeling it was either Amy Grant, Debbie Gibson, and or maybe low-key Patti LuPone. Well, the only... (laughs) Well... The only Patty Lapone I actually ever knew was from <laughs> the PBS anniversary special of Les Mis that they like televised. Oh, yeah. And then we also had like the recording of it. Um, but I didn't know who that was. Like she played uh, Fatine. Uh, and I didn't realize who Patty Lapone actually was until I was much older. And then I was like, oh, that's weird. I was like, yeah, weirdly obsessed with her as a little boy, but like didn't realize that she was like a real person, with, like a <laughs> beautiful career. Because it's a really small part. So she's like, wow, she's like really good. Like it's sad that they didn't give her a bigger part. Like, no, she was nominated for a Tony, you idiot. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of um, Christian recording artists. Yes. Uh, Amy Grant. There is one that you're talking about in our in the, the first episode. Oh, what was his name? Michael W. Smith. Or I call him Highlights because yeah. he had the typical like yeah. early 2000. He definitely spiky did. hair highlights. Yeah, but <laughs> he has the voice of a little baby angel, and he has a really <laughs> good Christmas album. I should stop free promoing people's things until they like <laughs> pay us. You know what I mean? Seriously, Jeffrey Star, Michael W. Smith, and also I think I can take credit for ever for probably being the first person to ever say those two names in one sentence, like. Michael W. Smith and Jeffree Star have nothing in common. No, but that's the unicorn of like promoting. It is. When you just Look put two of their names in you know, a podcast episode like this. Yeah, so <laughs> put on his holiday collection of lipstick and download his Christmas album and you'll be great. Yeah, he's a good looking guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would, yeah, I would definitely have there's him on this, my wall. There's this sort of like movement in general in like Christian worship music that... You, like, look a certain way, and you sort of, like, talk a certain way, and you sort of, like, lead worship in a very certain way. And they all, it's like country singers. They're all kind of the same to me. People are like, oh, my God, I love, and I'm like, (laughs) who? Like, I literally this year looked up the lineup for Stagecoach, and I was like, these are all just generic names that I've, like, it could have been a name Mm -hmm. generator, and I I wouldn't be able to tell you one song or one person, but I guarantee I know what they sound like. Just know that they have great hair, great, a great pair of jeans, veneers, and nicely tanned skin. That's how I always, like, picture them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the same thing in Christian, like, worship music. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I'm not trying to offend anybody. Like, that, this is just, like, my observations (laughs) that, like, a lot of them are, like, sort of tall, 
blue-eyed, dark-haired, white dudes that like sing like this and talk <laughs> about Jesus, and it, it's fine. Like there are still some songs that like when they come on, I'm like ready to go. But they're low-key the carbon car- copy of Ryan Murphy's like American totally. Horror, horror Story. Yeah, you know, typical actor that he casts. Yeah. yeah, you know, every <laughs> once in a while when the gym's empty, I'll play some <laughs> Kirk Franklin or something like that. So yeah. I crushed so hard on New Kids on the Block. Oh, My yeah. favorite guy was Joey McIntyre with his baby face, and that immediately transitioned to Antonio Sabater Jr. with his Calvin Klein ass. Oh, my God. Hilarious. Yeah. My mom walked into my room and was like, so tell me, uh, you like Calvin Klein a lot? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Do you see the model that's wearing, you know? All gay boys discovered that they were gay <laughs> when they walked by the Calvin Klein section in a department store. Like, that's how you know, because you're, like, trying not to look. <laughs> but, like... Mom, I need some underwear. Yeah. <clears throat> I need some underwear, Mom. I'm going to look at the back of this packaging. Yeah. It's very nice. I like the layout. And you're, like, trying to, like, pretend like you're looking at, like, the 16-pack of, like, boxers. Yeah, made in China. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Focus, focus. Yeah. All right. So as adolescence continues, they tend to grow out of this phase of their life and learn to appreciate their affection for what it is. Now, a belief that the celebrity is the best at what he or she does mm. in public life. And I still believe that Antonio Sabato Jr. still wears uh, his Calvins. Just, just a little. Just you know, for you. Yes, just for you. Now, most grow out of the stage, but there are some that don't. And adults that continue to decorate their bedroom walls with photos or images of their infatuation can can be classified as deranged or even dangerous. Now there is a condition called erotomania that can convince sufferers that another person who may or may not be famous has romantic feelings towards them. An entire delusion is created in which the object of their desire has somehow become destined to live with the sufferer. Now this often leads to the overwhelming desire to make regular contact with the perceived partner by sending presents or even trying to meet them in person. But most stalkers begin their quest in this way. Only one in 10 stalkers suffer from this condition, but are equally as dangerous to the subject. Like most other stalkers, preventative steps such as restraining orders are taken as positive actions. They feel connected to the object of their own desire. So another big question is, what is the result Mm. of the one out of that 10? And we've seen this happen, unfortunately, with the murder of John Lennon in December of 1980. Yes. Now, conflicting reports say that Mark Chapman, who was responsible for Lennon's death, called out the former Beatles name and took a combat stance before firing five bullets into the world-famous star. Chapman then patiently awaited the arrival of NYPD while reading Catcher in the Rye. You see, this was a very interesting case because Chapman wasn't obsessed with John Lennon. He loved the Beatles, and he was also a very, very religious man. What drove him apeshit was when John Lennon made a comment that the Beatles were bigger than God Mm. or bigger than Jesus, and that really threw him on a tizzy. So he was more infatuated with the fictional character of Holden Colefield from the book Catcher in the Rye. And he felt that he needed to carry out this job by offing John Lennon and mm. others that he had a like kind of like a Kill Bill list. And I know that John Lennon, Ronald Reagan, and even Elizabeth Taylor were on this list. Jesus Christ. But sometimes that one out of 10 is not even a stranger. It can actually be someone who has a close relationship with that celebrity, as we described in The Intimate mm-hmm. Stalker. 
And we see this in the murder case of Selena Quintanilla Perez, oh, no, Selena. who was the famous Tejano singer. On March 31st, 1995, Selena Quintanilla Perez was gunned down in a Days Inn hotel in Corpus Christi, Texas by Yolanda Saldivar. Saldivar, who had been entrusted with managing Selena's fashion and jewelry stores, Selena, etc., had been embezzling money from both the fan club and the stores. The two agreed to meet at the Days Inn in Corpus Christi because Selena needed tax documents from Saldivar regarding their businesses. Now, the motel staff confirmed that the two women were arguing loudly, and some witness stated that Selena told Salvador that she was no longer trustworthy, and boom, they heard a shot. Oh. This is what they believe may have pushed Saldivar over the edge as she responded by shooting the singer point blank. Damn. Now, the two also became very close friends. However, some questioned the obsessive nature of Saldivar's side yeah. of the friendship as she even quit her nursing job her full-time nursing job to oversee Selena's fan club. And it was even alleged that Saldivar created a shrine to the singer that included a life-size cardboard cutout of Selena. Sure. Well, mm -hmm. who doesn't do who that? Who doesn't do that? Now we finally cross over to this Hollywood tale of Rebecca Schaefer. And in order for us to <laughs> four be... Four hours later. <laughs> four hours later of us ranting. In order for us to begin, we need to go all the way back. And we need to go all the way back to the 80s. Now, this is where we, you know, lay her scene of her murder. 1989 was a very unique year, especially mm. in California. We had this famous San Francisco earthquake. And then we also had, as a nation, watch the Berlin Wall fall mm. down. And then finally, we ended this decade with the death of Rebecca Schaefer in mm. Hollywood. So we're going to go back a little further to 1967. Rebecca Schaefer was born in Eugene, Oregon on November 6th of 1967. She was born to the parents of Benson and Dana or Dana Schaefer. She developed a passion for drama at an early age, was later approached to try modeling, and the camera absolutely loved her, and mm. she started out starring in a lot of local print ads and commercials. So as a teen model, she moved to New York City to pursue a full-fledged career in entertainment, and she initially scored a role on the soap opera One Life to Live, mm -hmm. among other opportunities. But her biggest break came when she landed the role of Patty on the sitcom My Sister Sam, which is a comedy about a San Francisco photographer whose teenage sister comes to live with her from Oregon and most of the action took place in the apartment where the older sister had her photography studio the tv show brought her back to her home coast and then she eventually moves to Hollywood in 1986 my sister Sam aired 44 episodes between 1986 and 88 and Schaefer's fan base grew exponentially during that time, she was the cover girl for 17th March 1987 issue, and she went on to star in several more movies. But one movie in particular, The Class Struggle of Beverly Hills, would soon send one of her biggest fans over the edge to the point that he mm. travels to Hollywood to not only meet her, but to also kill her. Just as she was preparing for a potentially life-changing role in The Godfather Part 3, that fan knocked on her door to introduce himself. His name is Robert John Bardo. And Bryce, you have a lot of receipts on this mofo. Yes, I do. They're all in the glove box of my car, just crammed in there. Let's contact your stalker to see if you can <laughs> Yes, open they have the them car. all. <laughs> um, so John Robert Bardo is an interesting little booby. 
Um, and again, I think you touched on it so well that like these instances don't just happen out of nowhere. There's history behind them. Mm -hmm. There's obsession that's propelling them through. And he is like the classic case of that, that like these instances that have nothing to do with like the actual human Rebecca Schaefer, they only have to do with like the image in his mind. So, uh, Robert Bardot, he was the youngest of seven children. And he basically did the classic, like, hop around. His dad was in the military. Mm -hmm. And they were, you know, not a very well-to-do family. And he basically claimed, not to not believe him, but just one of the things that he talks about was that he was abused as well as a child. Um, He was then placed in foster care as a result of the abuse and the fact that their family couldn't take care of seven children and he started threatening to commit suicide so he was placed uh and diagnosed with mental illness um which they later re-diagnosed as bipolar disorder Mm. um and this was all before the age of 15 so there's like a lot of stew cooking here and we described this in richard ramirez's case that a lot of stuff like he went through a lot of trauma as a child as an infant and that mm-hmm. soon carried on to his like you know prepubescent to mm-hmm. puberty years you know and it's hard because just because you know why something happens doesn't mm-hmm. negate the fact that like you're still responsible oh absolutely so it's like this weird thing where like he had this like really hard life growing up and he had a history of abuse and by the time he was 19 he was working as like a custodian or a janitor at, like mm-hmm. a fast food restaurant like those are all very difficult things like he had dropped out of school like i'm not trying to say that like why did this happen Mm -hmm. the the path is littered with breadcrumbs but that doesn't give you a get out of jail free card absolutely not yeah it's it's not you're still responsible for your actions unfortunately so um you know he was sort of not well liked in his community he actually had been arrested three separate times uh during the mid 80s for different instances of domestic violence um his neighbors uh essentially like called the cops on him several times because he was also exhibiting like super erratic behavior oh dear yeah so he then also has in his private life and there's a really good interview uh that my roommate actually is the actor that plays you mentioned Robert John Bardot. <laughs> I was like watching it. You sent me the link, and yeah. I'm like watching it, like looking, and they only show like the back of his head because my roommate doesn't look anything like him. Yeah, but he's it's like the a 2021. Big, yeah, right. he's like this big like statuesque guy, and all of a sudden I was like, oh my god, it's Harris. I'd recognize the back <laughs> of that head anywhere. So it's like this weird thing. Um, I'm like, oh my god, like. What a small world. Because he had like, told me about it so long ago when he actually filmed it. And then mm-hmm. I just never put two and two together. I was like, oh my god, I knew about this. Um, <laughs> so the reason I brought that up is because in that interview, they actually have clips of him interviewing and like talking via phone. Mm-hmm. And like explaining why he did it and what his thought process was. So he then talks about like how he kind of came to Rebecca Schaefer because it wasn't his first obsession. Um, He actually had been obsessed with a young actress named Samantha Smith 
who uh, infamously died in a plane crash in 1985. And she was like this young child activist, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so when she died, he sort of wandered around and he was obsessed with Madonna for a while. Mm -hmm. He was obsessed uh, with Debbie Gibson. And he randomly sees this show on TV, My Sister Sam. And it's like an instant lock onto Rebecca Schaefer. Yeah. And he sort of does the like classic step one that you had mentioned. Mm -hmm. He starts writing to her. He's trying to contact her. And she, you know, all of her co-stars and her family are in this interview. And um, they all talk about how kind she was and it's actually really hard to watch because even though this is now nearly 40 years ago mm-hmm. they, it uh, it might as well have happened last week for them I mean it every does. single person that was like touched by her yeah. is still so heartbroken barely able to keep it together they just can only talk about like how amazing it was to even be near her she had that aura about her totally and you even brought it up when we first recorded yeah. like she when you like watched her in this interview or in in the 2020 I mean, she's, documentary she's so stunning and like enigmatic and exactly. charming like you're really drawn in yeah she like, has you like feel like you're her friend like i know you from somewhere yeah like, where do i know you from this one woman like i think her first agent just says it and it's so true it's like oh she really did have it whatever that thing was she had it people wanted to be around her they wanted her to be a part of their lives mm-hmm And so one of the things that her co-stars talk about is how sort of undaunted or, like, interested she was in fame, that she just, like, kind of didn't care. Mm -hmm. And so she kind of approached it with this laissez-faire attitude, and these sort of more seasoned actors around her were like, you can't do these kinds of things. Like, you're inviting trouble. Yeah, because she responded to a lot of her fans. Like personally. She, she personally did. Like, she took the time out of her schedule yes. to sit down and respond to their letters. And they're like, honey, that's sweet, but um, you want to back that thing yeah, up, like, like, 20 no, more yards I, you know, away. I love it. I'm helping them. They're mm-hmm. my, like, I feel like they're my friends in a way. And one of the letters that she happened to answer was to Robert Bardot. Mm-hmm. And she allegedly said, or in the letter... That, like, yours was the nicest letter I've ever received. Like, thank you so much for your support or whatever. And, of course, that was, like, the kickoff. And it, like, really catapults him. So he actually goes to California and shows up on the CBS lot, which, like, back in the 80s, like, you can... The number of times people have, like, spoken, we talked about this at the school, as, like, graduation speakers, and they're like... You know, when I wanted to be an actor, I just walked onto the lot and put my picture on everybody's desk until I made it as a star. And it's like, yeah, that's like not possible that's anymore. Impossible. You get tased. Yeah, like one time <laughs> I was at Warner Brothers and I like went, I like wasn't paying attention, mm-hmm. and I was like in line and I saw a bathroom and I just like went to the bathroom. And by the time I came back, it was like a low key lockdown. They were like. You can't, you can't stay here. You're out. Like you're <gasps> done. Oh yeah, they, oh, wow. they escorted me off, and I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, yeah, it was not great. <laughs> so don't do that, uh, and don't tell young aspiring actors to just go make it by like climbing the fences of Warner Brothers. I can see people like you know back then doing the typical like I'm gonna put on a fedora, wear some sunglasses, and have that little you know. 
uh, Robert Stack coat yep. and just like wandering, like just sneak in, you know, nonchalantly onto the lot and boom, bam, yep. you know, here I am with <coughs> 125 me. headshots. Well, and, and that's the cards. thing is like there's this sort of romanticized <laughs> idea of like I'm going to get discovered. discovered. And you might like I've known some people who have gotten discovered in various like ways, but the odds of that are much lower than you would like to admit with mm-hmm. yourself. You know, so my, myself included. I would also love to be discovered, but here we are. Like, it just is what it is. And mm-hmm. so it's like this weird thing. But thank God, he goes to the CBS lot, a security guard stops him, and they're sort of like talking to her and saying, like, there's this man that says he knows you, but she, like, thankfully doesn't meet him, mm-hmm. isn't, like, tricked, essentially. And he comes back with a knife because he's so angry that they, like, rejected him. So now it's sort of escalating, which, you know, we love to talk about. Yeah. Um, And then, ironically, he sort of um, wanders away from his obsession with her. I think the initial reaction sort of jars him or scares him or he just, for whatever reason, starts, like, you know, I hate to call it, like, a wandering eye as if. He's like fidelitious to her. Not a word, but it's fine. <laughs> uh, but he does sort of like take a break from his obsession with her. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, it's because he then later sees her in, you know, the more mature role yeah. of scenes from the class struggle in Beverly Hills. And, you know, it's a very common thing that young actors do, especially child stars. Yeah, especially Disney stars. Yeah, where they're like, I'm going to prove that I'm not this type and I'm going to, like, change my image. And that usually involves, like, a very young woman actor Mm -hmm. and she's in, like, a very hypersexualized role. Yeah, her first nude scene. Totally. It's there at all. It's the total blueprint. So she does this, like, more mature movie where there is a sex scene, mm-hmm. and he ends up seeing it, and it triggers something in him, and he later claims that he felt like she had lost her innocence, and that that, and, like, raged him. <sighs> Which, women's sexuality is none of your business, and they don't owe you anything, and there's no such thing as purity. So, like, let's just start there. Yeah. But, like, okay, fine. <laughs> so he now is, he was back in Arizona at the time, and he drives to California with the intention to kill her. Like, he was pretty frank about that. He's like, no, like, she had lost her innocence and I was going to kill her. And we have to now, like, kind of take a little mini detour. I know this one has been fraught with detours, so bear with (laughs) us. This one was planned, I promise. Um, Because he essentially follows a blueprint for how to get to Rebecca Schaefer from a prior stalking attack uh, against Teresa Saldana. Mm-hmm. And essentially, uh, her stalker was named Anthony Richard Jackson. Oh, yeah. And he hired a private investigator and basically found out as much information, you know, uh, ends up finding her information at the DMV. Mm-hmm. And then under the guise of like a, a script delivery goes and finds her and he attacks her in broad daylight at, at her car on a very crowded street and he stabs her and he 
stabs her a, a, a lot and people don't intervene and finally one like passing water delivery man like sees what's happening and like tackles him to the ground and saves her life like she lives and there was like oh a movie about her uh-huh. and she starred in it as herself which like what a boss move you queen <laughs> to like be your own like everyone's always like I mean, who that- would play you in the movie like bitch i play myself i'm gonna do it i'm gonna open that wound again nobody can play me like me um (laughs) but this the reason i even bring that up is because this then becomes the blueprint that um robert john bardot follows and he does a very similar thing he essentially calls around he's in california he's just pumping he hires a private investigator and essentially, he ends up finding Rebecca Schaefer's mother's phone number. Oh, yep. he's perfect. <laughs> and so he calls the number and says that he has a script to deliver. That's mm-hmm. how he gleans her address. And then he kind of is walking around the street, asking people if this is where she lives. And she was expecting, as you mentioned, a script for the godfather three and so she opens the door and you know it's that thing where like she didn't do any of the like things that now we know you just kind of have to do at a certain point of celebrity unfortunately she didn't have like a p.o box and she didn't you know she had her real name on the mailbox and like all these things that she was just so not concerned with because she was such a normal kind of down-to-earth woman and he exploited that exploited the innocence of the legal system yeah well i'm sure she in her mind like this doesn't happen and no it's not gonna of happen course to not me. no yeah. one would ever think of these i'm not trying to victim blame her but it's all. just like i mean i'm sure like there's so many wonderful things going on in her life yes that this was the last thing that she would ever think would happen to and her. she i think you know, she seemed like the kind of person who really believed in the best. Not oh, in absolutely. just like all people around her, but in the world. That like the world was full of good, exciting possibility. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, people who are not good, who have nothing inside of them, take advantage of that yeah. mindset. You know what I mean? He's just a nothing of a human. Yes. To, to do and think these kinds of things. Like he's just so void inside. And it's, again, I'm not trying to like stigmatize mental illness. It's just that like when it's gone to this point yes. it's just so horrifying to when watch. you see the documentary guys you can find the documentary the 2020 good. documentary on hulu and i think on oh yeah on youtube on youtube yeah it's like a three or four part series but there are like post interviews with him <coughs> excuse me as he's describing how he you know finds yeah. her and, and it's how so he chilling kills her and her last it's just her last words but yeah the things that like the way he was describing it like sent chills down yeah. my spine and so that is what ends up happening he asks enough people if this is her home and he opens the door and they have a confrontation and she asks him to never come back and then he comes back and shoots her essentially at point blank range mm-hmm. um and then he sort of flees the scene and he throws the gun and he throws his copy of catcher in the rye which like why do they all have catcher in the rye like stop Stop reading oh, he book. had Catcher in the Rye too. He like threw it on a roof. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, 
Which, like, it's a fine book, but when people are like, it's my favorite book, I'm like, well, why? Fine. There's so many other books that are amazing. Like, Catcher in the Rye is fine. Mm-hmm. Send your hate mail about you know, my Catcher in the Rye. pieces of literature, like yeah. Goosebumps. Welcome Ooh. to, you know, Monster House. Choose alone. your own adventure, Goosebumps. There I was here go. for that. Yes. I was here for that. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, because she opens the door because she's waiting on that script for Godfather, right, right. right? And there's, like... You know, of course, 80s, late 80s, this is, like, the decade where it was everything was by, like, phone or a written messenger. Hand delivery. Hand delivery, yep. yeah. You had a call service, whatever the hell that is. I know. I don't know. Give me an iPhone. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, so that's sort of, you know, he's arrested, of course, and he's tried, ironically, as we already briefly touched on, but by uh, oh, Sarah Paulson. Marsha Clark. Thank yeah. you, Marsha Clark. Marsha Clark, I'm so sorry. I think mm-hmm. you're really cool. I'm like weirdly <laughs> obsessed with her. I love her. Yeah, we love your hair. Um, but she like, you know, prosecutes this case. Mm-hmm. And because of it, and here's like the sort of ugly truth, is that we sort of march forward the progress of the legal system in this country and the protections that we afford future generations on the backs of like dead women and minorities like that's just the tea so like unfortunately her death is what it took to catapult us into sort of these common sense laws that is just like mind-blowing that they didn't exist before mm-hmm. it completely changed the information you're allowed to get from the DMV it completely changed the amount of information you're allowed to get from a private investigator. Right. It completely changed the kinds of prosecution and penalties that can be ruled in stalking cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, like her family starts this beautiful foundation in her name that raises all this like money, and like her legacy lives on in like all these really special ways, and like ways that have protected other women moving forward but again it took her death to accomplish those things Mm -hmm. like that the fact that the Teresa Saldana case wasn't enough that's what really pissed me off is like that case was not enough and this is what we do to make the rules change it took this case of this poor girl like what was the difference between them both one died yeah that's literally what it takes and it's just like this heartbreaking thing you know and I'm not trying to be like super political yes I am (laughs) Um, But it's the same kind of thing that we see now where it's like these issues that sort of get a little bit better and a little bit better and we get like closer to equality or closer to protection for people who need our help. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunately the things that it takes to get those done Mm -hmm. are done so at the cost of the broken backs of the people that were victims. It's just like such a bummer because she's like, again – her career was like on such a trajectory and like of course like the the antithesis is that like well her death canonized her and you know who knows where her career would have gone and how many people were famous in the 80s that we've never heard from again and like yeah that's fine but it's just such a sad tragic loss yeah as all as all you know murders are but so where is robert now he in prison. <laughs> so Bardo was arrested the day after he murdered Schaefer. Mm-hmm. And during his trial, Bardo's lawyer argued that he was suffering from a mental condition, as we described before. Mm-hmm. Marsha Clark argued that Bardo was obsessed, not insane. Mm-hmm. Thank God. 
1991, he was found guilty of first-degree mur murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And he continues to serve his life sentence in Avenal State Prison in Central California. And he also suffered some serious injuries in 2007 when a fellow inmate stabbed him 11 times at Mule Creek State Prison. Who? Yes. So prison how is a bitch? Yeah, prison is a bitch. You get what you deserve. Yeah. I mean, I don't still violence, but I mean, yeah. this is how the universe is gonna unravel for this dude. Yeah, you gotta watch that karma. Mm-hmm. How's Rebecca murder made a lasting impact? So in 1990, as we discussed, a year after Rebecca's death, mm. California passed the U.S. first ever anti-stalking law, which makes it a felony to cause another or their family to be in reasonable fear for their safety and carries a state prison sentence. And as of 2019, this law is recognized in all 50 states. And in 1994, the state of California enacted the driver's Privacy Protection Act, mm -hmm. which bars the DMV from giving out drivers' personal information. And in 2002, this is really sweet, Rebecca's boyfriend at the time of her death, Brad Schilberling, mm -hmm. wrote and directed Moonlight Mile. And the movie was based on his relationship with Rebecca's parents. And it's if you haven't seen the movie, it's pretty good. It has Jake Gyllenhaal, like a little baby Jake Gyllenhaal. Love it. And it has Susan Sarandon and a slightly young Dustin Hoffman. Benson and Dana also lobbied for gun control and started the Rebecca Schaefer Memorial Scholarship for Acting Students I love that. at UCLA, which is really sweet. And I know that um, Dana went on to write a book um, about Rebecca and... Yeah, so this is how like they're so dealing. Sweet. Yeah, this is how they like they're processing and dealing with her death. So they actually were also the ones who helped propel the 2020 interview like forward. They were the ones who really like pushed to have her story remembered mm -hmm. and like told. And my roommate told me this uh, kind of bizarre story. But when they were filming, they were filming at Rebecca Schaefer's. They filmed on the apartment. location of that. Yeah, of her death. And there's like this woman leaning out the window of like a nearby apartment and like losing her mind and like essentially halting production yeah and she's like screaming and being like you can't be here like rebecca was my friend like you can't do this to her and they had to like go and explain to her like the family wants this like we have their permission like we are doing this for them like we're doing this in a very respectful way like we want her story told but this woman was like still that because like here's the thing People in L.A., we get, like, notices when filming's coming, like, weeks in advance. Like, mm -hmm. when you see filming, you just kind of, like, walk around it. Right. It's in your way. You can't get to Starbies. Nope. Um, so for someone who has been living in that same area for 30 years, to interrupt filming in that way just goes to show how deeply passionate and protective people are about her memory right because you wouldn't do that you literally would never. i would never in my life interrupt filming mm -hmm. as a bystander like you just wouldn't do it and she was that moved and protective that they had to like stop yeah and be like no 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 like we're doing this to like tell her story oh i'm sure logistics was like oh god can door. you imagine yeah i remember like i was like doing um 
I was working on a film in New Orleans. It was like straight to DVD, by the way. Love. <laughs> Carmen Electra in it. But, Double um, love. Yeah. But we were, we had um, discussed with several of these individuals that lived in these, um, it was in the middle of the French Quarter. I want to say it was South <laughs> Peters, but someone, like, it was like the three owners of these, like, beautiful condos gave us permission to use their balconies. Love. And the, <laughs> and the neighbors that, I guess they didn't discuss um, this whole filming ordeal with oh um, decided to stand out of their um, balconies and hold up signs like straight to DVD Carmen Electra and that halted production because we were supposed to shoot the parade route where she's like oh my queen God. of this Mardi Gras parade and it took us two hours for the head of logistics to calm this guy down oh to my ask God. him to please take down the sign and after several thousands of dollars later gooped I know they were able to get the sign off of his balcony and you know get straight to production but it's like that is i mean you gotta make it how you can make it i guess yeah <laughs> damn so guys we're gonna take a little promo break here from stitcher Yay. premium before we touch on the paranormal aftermath because there are no rebecca schaefer ghosts but uniquely enough there are some strange manifestations that happened or are still occurring on the location of the pico house which mm. is located in downtown los angeles and the pico house is connected to the show my sister Sam, and we'll definitely talk about that soon after this little break. Hey, boo, hey, it's Bryce Mitchell Williams and Tammy Merhap Chavez, and we are from Holly Weird Paranormal. And we just wanted to take a second to recommend some great other podcasts that are available now on Stitcher Premium. If you're looking for some new true crime, then check out True Crime Garage. Off the record, the latest project from the guys of True Crime Garage hosts Nick and the Captain. Hi. Join them each week as they revisit some of the most haunting cases they've covered to date. This is a compilation of hidden treasures, a chance to dive deeper, discuss new theories, and get updates on your favorite episodes of True Crime Garage. Or, if you're looking for something a little different, comedian Chris Gethard's beautiful stories from anonymous people opens the phone line to one anonymous caller, and Chris can't hang up first, no matter what. Just like all my first dates. From shocking confessions and family secrets to philosophical discussions and shameless self-promotion, anything can and will happen. With Stitcher Premium, you'll also get thousands of hours of original content, early access to new releases, exclusive bonus episodes, and archives, and so much more. And of course, our show, Hollyweird Paranormal, is also available every week on Stitcher Premium. To get your free month trial of Stitcher Premium, go to stitcherpremium.com and use promo code HOLLYWEIRD. That's stitcherpremium.com and the promo code is HOLLYWEIRD. One word. One word. Now let's get weird. Bye. Bye. Beep boop, beep boop, boop, boop. Boop. Keep that in there. I will. <laughs> <laughs> so guys, as we discussed earlier, we're going to go into the paranormal aftermath. Spooky. Very spooky. So there are no Rebecca Shaver ghosts or any strange energies that manifest at her former Hollywood apartment. But according to... The blog site, I am not a stalker.com. I mean, <laughs> convincing. Very convincing. The exterior shot of the supposed San Francisco building where Schaefer's teenage character, Patty Russell, lived with her older sister, Sam Russell, played by actress Pan Dober, 
is a B-roll footage of the infamous Pico House that is located in downtown Los Angeles in Little Mexico. So here's the association. So the Pico House was um, used as an exterior for that show. And um, I remember even watching the show on YouTube and mm-hmm. noticing, wait, that building looks very familiar. Yes. It's right across the street from Little Mexico. So the Pico House, guys, is pretty haunted. And um, here's a little tidbit about this little house. So it was constructed in 1869 to 1870. And the Pico House has the distinction of being LA's first three-story building. And it was commissioned by Pio Pico, the last governor of California under Mexican rule. And the Italianate structure originally served as a 82-room hotel. Not just any hotel, though. It was the city's finest, featuring arch windows and doors at every turn, a grand double staircase, 21 parlors, two courtyards, a French restaurant, restrooms, and water closets for both sexes on each floor. Well, we fancy. We are. A bar and a billiards room because this was like the W back in the 1800s. So Pio Pico was a bit of a womanizer and party animal, and he always held these lavish parties at the hotel. And it was even rumored that Pio Pico himself was, you know... A man that had a lady every single night sure. in every single room of that hotel. Just, just a little rumor. <laughs> he was just like the fuckboy of the lady. Yeah. Though the property proved bustling throughout the first decade, Pew wasn't the savviest when it came to his finances, and he would end up losing the Pico House to foreclosure in 1880. So the site subsequently passed through several hands, continuing to function as a hotel before being transformed into an inexpensive boarding house named the National in 1892. It operated as such for the next three decades, growing more dilapidated as time passed. Though the original moniker was restored in 1920, the building continued to deteriorate a mere shadow of the once grander self and was eventually condemned in 1922. So in 2006, the Californian Historical Landmark Society and the National Historic Landmark um, described it as being um, pretty much a historical landmark in California, and it's still utilized mainly as a special events venue and, of course, for, you know, a venue for filming and always. always. So it's been used in a lot of TV shows, CSI, Star Trek, and so much more. Mm. So you must be wondering why it's so haunted and whom or what haunts the Pico House. Well, workers have reported all kinds of mysterious footsteps and shadow figures at the old hotel, but it's not clear who's been haunting this place. And we wonder, could it be Don Pio Pico still wandering the rooms looking for women to sleep with? Or could it be some of the many Chinese men that were massacred in the area in 1871? As we described in episode two of our first season of the Cecil Hotel, Mm -hmm. there was the Chinese massacre of 1871, which was a racially motivated riot on October 24th of 1871 in L.A., when a mob of over 500 men enter Chinatown to attack, rob, and murder Chinese residents of the city. And the riots took place on Calle de los Negros, and I'm not going to translate that in English because it's more offensive, exactly. All refer to a different name, Alley, which later became part of L.A. Street. Now, a total of 18 Chinese immigrants were systematically killed by the mob, making the so-called Chinatown War the largest incident of mass lynching in the American history. Yeah. We are not 
good at that. Yes. No. <laughs> no, we're not. Come on, America. Just deal with your racism problem. I know. You gotta. You gotta suck that poison out, girl. Now, the riot and massacre were allegedly triggered by the killing of Robert Thompson, a local rancher who was caught in the crossfire during a gun battle between two Chinese factions. The fight was part of a long-standing feud of the abduction of a Chinese woman named Yuto. Now, the dead Chinese in Los Angeles were hanging at three places near the heart of the downtown business section of the city, which a lot of people wonder if the souls of those dead immigrants had made their way to the hotel. Mm. Now, back in um, the earlier seasons of Ghost Adventures, because this hotel obviously was in one of sure. the episodes, Zach Baggins, or the Baggins, investigates this building and had reported that he had caught several specters. Mm. So he used a very unique technique called ambushing technique where he frat boy kicks open a door sure. and just takes a picture of whatever's in the room off guard without their consent and he goes back and looks over the images to see if he captured a manifestation you know mm -hmm. off guard and sure enough he does capture a manifestation of some sort of a purple <coughs> figure mist mm. in the top floor of that building and that's another thing too couple of paranormal groups who have investigated the building have claimed that the top level of the Pico house has a lot of activity. They have seen specters of lights. They've seen shadow people wandering in and around there. There's even been a story of people who have seen Pio Pico himself just, Damn. you know, walking by the balconies of the hotel. So spooky, very, very spooky, but no one knows what is the cause. But, you know, like we mentioned in past episodes, when something violent occurs yes. on a piece of land or just in one place, there's always some sort of residual mm -hmm. or some type of residue that is always left behind. So maybe it's, it's you know, the manifestation of that massacre that's probably recurring yeah. in that location. You know, what kind of makes me feel a little gleam of happiness is that I, I find it kind of nice that, like, there's no Rebecca Schaefer ghost that yes. even though that that's like that would have been the better bookend to our story maybe it's like oh no it's actually really sweet she didn't have any unfinished business and she had done the things that she felt like she needed to do here and like she was able to like move on with like love and leave behind like only positive memories do you yeah. know what I mean I just think like how sad it would be if like her family was also having to deal with like people every 40 seconds being like I saw her ghost you know what I mean like exactly I just think it's like really lovely that like oh no she like she she accomplished like what she needed to accomplish and her life wasn't unfulfilled and I think that's also like something that's so sad is like so many times these hauntings are people who have so much left undone and mm -hmm. I don't know kind of nice yeah, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, I didn't like Caroline or going yeah. to Lyra, but no, no, there's nothing like that. Yeah. yeah. Which is really nice to think. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm glad that in some way she is resting in peace. Yeah, know? exactly. That, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. That, yeah. That's the perfect way to say it. 
Yeah. Mm. So, guys, um, that is the true crime and paranormal aftermath of Rebecca Schaefer. And, yes, I'll be making a backup of this recording. Yes, we will. <laughs> Don't worry, I will. You know, learn from our mistakes, allegedly. We will. At least this is the first one after two years I know. I'm really proud of us. I like, am. That's why, I, like, when, right when I left my guard down, I was like, great. There you go. Here you've you go. got a lot of plates spinning. Let's just. Yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah. But this is our last episode for season you know. three, guys, because we will be hitting our hiatus. We'll be off for the rest of July and we'll be back in mid-August for our season four. Yes. Of course. So we definitely have a lot of plans for the summer. I definitely am leaving the country to go to Honduras. Queen. To go to Roatan, to get sunbathed, to, you know, just come back as a bronze tanned goddess. Hell yes. And I know that you will be browsing the target.com page yeah, for your floaties, right? I will be leaving <laughs> my couch sometimes, allegedly. Um, yeah. No, actually, I do have some fun stuff this summer. That's so. good. I'm a little summer warrior. You're a little summer warrior. You have a little summer project. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Just a little, We just need a break, too. We just yeah. need to have a little, you know, us time. And definitely some time to plan season four. Yes, that's true. We have, I'm, I'm just, I have some really good ideas for season four, guys. We have some really juicy things. And here's a little tidbit. I have been talking with a friend of mine, well, a friend of ours, Claudia. Oh, hi. And she is going to be putting us in contact with a couple of women who worked on the films of Paranormal Activity and The Conjuring. Cool. And they have some stories, some creepy stories of what happened behind the camera on set. I love that you'll be asking them about that, and I will be asking them about Patrick Wilson. There you go. I'm sure they have a lot of tea to Good. share. They're like, yeah, let huh. me tell you about dressing, Oof. Patrick. Go slowly. Oh, I know. Oof. And of course, they have a lot of stories about the Warner Brothers lot. Do they? Oh, my God, they do. Ugh. It is pretty haunted. There is a part of that lot, especially in the wardrobe department, that is really haunted and a lot of stories parallel so oh goodness there is a lot of activity that we're going to talk about and we also have a good thing that happened too is that i've been in contact with another one of our listeners and she messaged us that she has a story about something that happened to her at her job at fox oh damn that fox is (laughs) That makes sense. Yes. So we will be trying to conjure up some really juicy episodes for you guys in regards to season four. We're going to be working on some plans soon. So don't you worry, guys. We also wanted to take the time to thank two very awesome groups of people. We Mm. want to first off thank OC Ghosts and Legends because they have invited us to a lot of their field investigations and... I'm just so excited that they are new friends. Yes. And second, the Edge of Reason radio show. Yes. So those two women are amazing on the Edge of Reason. And we hope that we get to be a part of their radio show soon. I know that we're trying to plan something. Yes. So if you don't know anything about these two groups, Edge of Reason and OC Ghosts and Legends, then Google them because Google <laughs> you're missing out on a lot, guys. And don't forget that if you love Hollyweird Paranormal, to please stock, I mean, please just go uh-huh. and subscribe and rate and rant about us on Apple Podcasts. It really does mm-hmm. help us out, guys. If you leave us a nice yet kind 
review on our Apple podcast and give us some five stars. It really helps us become mm-hmm. a little more noticeable. <laughs> yes. I get it. They're mostly going to be two stars saying that I rant too much. That is a fair a fair review. I know. I love the one review where the one person left us two stars and mentioned that we love to read Yelp reviews. I do love to read Yelp reviews. We do. I mean, who doesn't? Sorry. It helps me decide almost every decision in my life. I know. I found my dentist, my doctor, my gyno, my vet. Hello. That tea was piping hot. Uh. They they got us. So, guys, also, we're everywhere. We're on CastBox, Blueberry.net. We're also on Stitcher, as you heard on our promo, Stitcher Premium. We're advertising for them. Yes, yes. But Stitcher Premium is pretty dope, guys. It's really awesome. So, definitely get that free trial, because free is a good thing. Love free. And, of course, we are everywhere, wherever you get your podcast fix. And figure out what we're doing, you know, during this break. You can find us on our personal Instagrams, Mm -hmm. on Supernaturally Tammy. And you're on what? The Smirking Assassin. Yes. Also, follow Hollywood Paranormal on Facebook and on Instagram at Hollywood Paranormal and Twitter at HWP Podcast, guys. So till ne- next time. Bye. Bye. Stay Hollywood, guys, and have a wonderful and safe <laughs> summer. <laughs> Bye. Music featured on this episode by artists Elvez and College featuring Electric Youth. We wanted to take the time to thank our new spiritual bays and patrons, Crystal Smith, Jennifer Conrad, Pim J. Taxana, Jax Duval, and Jessica Koshball. Thank you so much, guys, for your pledges and donations. It means the world to us. Speaking of Patreon, why don't you head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash Paranormal. There you'll find our Patreon page. And for $1 or more a month, guys, you could be some fancy Gucci Hollywood producers helping us produce the next season for Hollyweird Paranormal. Plus, you get to score on some free stickers and merch. Look out for us on August 18th. We'll continue season four. Till next time, guys. Stay Hollyweird. <laughs>